Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, Crime Salad listeners, welcome back to another episode of Crime Salad. We're your host, Ashley. And I'm Ricky. And we're here to talk true crime. But before we jump in, we do have a few patrons to shout out. We have Hellion Kitty, Amber, Tiana, Kirsten, Kylie, Cassidy, Josie, Kathy. Thank you guys so much for your support. We really appreciate it. Yay. So I am so sickened by cases like the one that we're about to cover because not only does it deal with a child being murdered. Those are always the hardest cases to cover. Yeah, they definitely are. But what gives me that pit in my stomach feeling is how close the murderer was to the child and how much he was trusted and thought to be harmless. And we know evil is often disguised. Monsters like Stuart Hazel built that trust and emotional connection between the adults and the child. This was someone who was close to the family, who purposely raped and murdered a little girl. The same person who will hug you, the same one that will wear the missing shirt of the little girl's face on the front. They will be at the search party, handing out flyers. I mean, you're on another level of evil to do this. Honestly, how do they sleep at night? I have no clue. Well, Tia Sharp, this 12-year-old girl who would be around 22 years old from when we recorded this episode, was murdered by her own step-grandfather. And sadly, no one saw it coming. So be aware of the signs and let's get into it. So we know that crime salad episodes all have that warning because we do talk about things that may make some listeners uncomfortable. Well, with this episode, we just want to give that extra warning because it deals with the murder and sexual assault of a child. So please be warned. On August 3rd, 2012, 12-year-old Tia Sharp inexplicably went missing. She was a bright and loving little girl in the Crawdon area of South London with her 30-year-old mother, Natalie Sharp, her stepfather, David Niles, and her two younger brothers who were just one and three years old at the time. Now, despite living in poverty, she was a bright and bubbly little girl surrounded by people who loved her. She had a very close-knit family that included her uncle, David Sharp, her grandmother, Christine Bicknell, and Christine's live-in boyfriend, Stuart Hazel. By all accounts, Stuart and Tia had a special relationship, and she even referred to him as granddad. Tia lived in cramped quarters with her family, and in fact, she didn't even have a bed of her own in their two-bedroom apartment. 
Instead, Tia slept on the couch every night, while her brothers shared the only spare room. But she never complained about these sleeping arrangements. Natalie Sharp, Tia's mother, was just 18 years old when she was born, and Natalie's own mother, Christine, was just 16 years old when she had Natalie. The family dynamics were a little complicated, but the end result was that they were all a very close, tight-knit family. Christine met her boyfriend, Stuart, a decade earlier while she was working as a bartender. However, it was later revealed that Stuart had also dated Natalie before meeting and falling in love with Natalie's mother. To further complicate things, Stuart was a decade younger than Christine. Although he had endured a hard upbringing that included addiction to drugs and alcohol that made him look much older than his 37 years. Regardless, Stuart was a big kid magnet and all of Christine's family adored him. They all agreed he loved Tia like she was his own. At Christine and Stuart's house, Tia also had her very own bed and her very own bedroom, which may have been why she looked forward to spending most of her weekends with them. Tia and Stuart were so close that even on special occasions like birthdays, Tia always made sure to invite Stuart. One of those reasons could have been his inclination to throw out all of the rules. He would allow Tia to stay up late playing video games together and eating all kinds of junk food. In fact, it was Tia's idea to spend that fateful weekend of August 2nd with her nan and Stuart. Although Tia was only 12 years old, she was allowed to use public transportation if there was going to be someone on the other end to meet her. So her mother, Natalie, arranged with Stuart to pick Tia up from the bus stop for their weekend together. The two were captured on CCTV footage from the bus station and then again at a grocery store where Tia can be seen looking at magazines while Stuart filled the basket with all of their favorite foods. From this footage, it's clear that Tia feels comfortable with her step-grandfather, and they both are having a great time before heading to Christine and Stuart's home in New Addington, located in South London. Tia's nan wouldn't be there that night because she would be working as a caregiver in a facility for the elderly. Although she did make a call and talk to both of them, and they seemed like they were having a great time together as usual, and she could hear Tia happily laughing in the background. Well, the next morning, August 3rd, it started out like any other weekend with Tia. She usually slept in while Stuart made her breakfast, fed the dogs, and took them for a walk and did some household chores. Around 10.30, Tia woke up and asked to go to the shops to buy a pair of flip-flops. And it's said that Stuart didn't pay much attention to the details as he was vacuuming at the time. However, he recalled handing Tia a $10 bill and told her to be home before 6 p.m. Later, when Christine got home, she asked about Tia, and Stuart told her that Tia was out shopping for shoes and she would be back before 6 p.m. But by 7 o'clock p.m., Christine began to worry. She called Natalie and asked if Tia had gone back home, which was located just five miles away. At first, Natalie wasn't alarmed and went to the bus station to see if Tia had decided to come home. Well, she hadn't. So then they went to the shop where she had been heading and they followed the bus route back and forth to Natalie's to see if they could cross paths with her. It was now 10 o'clock p.m. and there were no signs of Tia. They all decided it was time to call the police and report Tia missing. 
Tia's aunt and uncle took to Facebook and Twitter and soon had a huge following of locals that all invested in finding and bringing Tia home. Police immediately began questioning neighbors, hoping someone had talked to or saw the little girl. Christine's next-door neighbor, Paul Meehan, reported seeing Tia, which corroborated Stewart's timeline and description of events. Paul happened to be waiting on a furniture delivery that day and was outside when Tia walked by him at 12.30 p.m. Paul was even able to describe the clothing Tia was wearing, which matched Paul's description as well. Tia was wearing a yellow tank top and light gray leopard print leggings with black and pink athletic shoes. Now, because of the neighbor Paul's sighting, police began to gather local CCTV footage to see if they could determine where Tia headed off to. Now, London and the surrounding areas happen to be one of the most surveilled cities in the entire world. There are cameras in almost all public places, businesses, and streets. Police quickly gathered over 800 hours of footage and began going through it while also organizing grid searches for the surrounding areas for the volunteers. Tia had captured the hearts and minds of her community, and within 24 hours, the entire city was covered in her pink missing person flyers. Of course, out of caution, the police also searched Christine and Stewart's home. But once it was established that Tia was nowhere inside the home, they knew their efforts were better served looking somewhere else. Predictably, it was almost immediately that the press were camped outside Tia's last known location looking for information or sound bites for the evening news cycle. The press's suspicion quickly fell on Stewart. The family was outraged, and Tia's uncle took to Facebook and made it clear that Stuart had the family's full support, he was Tia's favorite person, and accusing him of anything untoward was an unwelcome distraction. They said Stuart was deeply hurt by the accusations and knew the finger was being unjustly pointed at him. They wanted the press and volunteers to focus on finding Tia, not wasting their time looking for suspects. They made it very clear that they weren't looking for a body, they were looking for a little girl that desperately wanted to come home. They reiterated that this was out of character for Tia to be out of contact because she loved her family and she was very loved in return. ITV News recorded an interview with Stuart Hazel as he willingly told them what happened before she left the house. And when you get a chance, take a look at this video. It's on YouTube. Just search Stuart Hazel interview. You can see his body language. And in a second, you'll hear the way he talks fast and mumbles through his story as he openly lays out a lie with Tia's family sitting right next to him. Well, if they believe what they read in the papers, they can do whatever they like. Because I know deep down in my heart that Tia walked out of my house. She walked out there, and I know damn well because she was seen walking down the pathway. I know she made that track down to that way. What happened after that is I don't know. Hi, this is Daniel Roof, the Real GM Radio Podcast. It's a Texas showdown. The postseason and Bet Online is your number one source for all your baseball wagering information, up to the minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Everything you need to stay up to speed on each league championship series and through the World Series. Don't forget, Bet Online is where you have the latest game odds, present totals for the NFL and college football, plus real time updates on statistics, news, and odds. Serious up betting on football. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action at Bet Online, where 
the game starts. Unfortunately for Stewart, the recorded remarks throughout the interview didn't sit well with investigators. As a result of public pressure, they went back to Christine in Stewart's home with a warrant and a search and rescue dog. And for some reason, the dog seemed confused and was of no help that day. Although he did seem interested in Tia's room, which made sense to officers since the room was where Tia slept and it held her strongest and most recent scent. Police and the family also appealed to the public for help in finding Tia, which resulted in sightings all over town. Within days, they had over 55 sightings of Tia. Police and family also appealed to the public for help in finding Tia, which resulted in sightings all over town. Within days, they had over 55 sightings of Tia. However, once the CCTV footage was gathered, it was clear that the sightings were all unsubstantiated. Over 80 officers and over 200 people helped police search for Tia, all to no avail. Police stressed to the public that they still needed their help and that Tia's case was still a missing persons inquiry and not a homicide. They didn't have any suspects, but admitted that Stewart was the last person to see Tia before her disappearance which didn't sit well with Stewart since technically the neighbor, Paul Meehan, was the last person to adamantly see Tia that day. In response to Stewart's comments, the police clarified they couldn't be sure who was the last person to have seen Tia on the day she vanished. Tia was very small for her age, and at just four foot five inches tall and 100 pounds, it would be easy to mistake her for a younger child. The missing child poster showed an adorable girl with a long brown ponytail and glasses, smiling and holding one of her little brothers. Tia had captured the hearts of the nation in just a matter of a few days. Just six days after Tia disappeared, Stewart agreed to be interviewed by a well-known crime journalist who helped dispel the rumors about his alleged involvement. He thought it would be best to do a public interview to clear his name once and for all so that the press could move past him and help to find his step-granddaughter. He also thought it would be a great chance to bring attention to Tia's disappearance and keep her name in the news. He sat down in his living room with criminologist Mr. Williams Thomas. When Stewart was asked why Tia didn't take her phone with her that day, he said it was because he told her to plug it in and charge it, and she had forgotten to take it with her, which, according to her family, was out of character for the little girl who was never away from her phone. Additionally, she had forgotten to take her Oyster card with her, which is a public transportation card that allows her to use the train, bus, or trolley. Stewart told Williams Thomas that he had a few theories and was worried that some nonces, which is slang for pedophile, may have taken Tia. In his interview, like we mentioned, he does talk fast and with a mumble. We didn't want to include the full interview mainly because we feel like it's a little hard to follow, but he breaks down the timeline of the day that she disappeared. He states that Tia came down the stairs around 10.30 or 11. She wanted to get up early and that she was playing the Nintendo DS. Then she had breakfast. Um, just started doing a little bit of washing up in the kitchen. She was in there. She was telling me what she was doing, but I weren't really logging it into my head. I didn't, do you know what I mean? 
kids, they talk to you, it goes in one ear, it stays there for a second, it goes out, you know what I mean? As I was hovering, then she walked out, the, she walked past me from the front room to go out, and she walked out the front door, that is all I know. And she left her phone on charge, because I told her to sit there and leave her phone on charge. I didn't mean leave it on charge, because what Tia doing, she plays on the, on the, the BB thing, but then she uses it as it's charging, so there's no charge going through to it. So when I said to her, leave, just leave your phone on charge, it means leave her phone on charge, not use it, let it charge up a bit, then you can actually take it with you or whatever, because she's been responsible to go to Croydon before, she's been responsible to go on trains and buses and trams and everything before on her own. So Stewart explains that she was telling him where she was going, but it just didn't register at the time because he was busy cleaning. Then she walks past him and leaves the house. So, so when she walked past you and, and out to the door, did she say anything? Uh, she said, uh, oh, goodbye. Well, I said, well, make sure you're back at six. She went, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was it. And then the door closed and she walks out. I don't take precise times and things like that, but when she walked out that door, I know damn well it was 10 past 12, according to my clock. Because as I was hoovering up the dog's mess by, the, by my kitchen, I look up and I've got a great big clock in front of me on the cooker, which says 12, 10. Now listen, you've been living in house arrest. Basically, He told the skeptical interviewer that they had spent the night alone in the house. They played PlayStation, which he said was nothing unusual because she's cheating all the time. He said they were laughing and joking and trash talking each other and having their usual good time together. Stewart was talking extremely fast and began getting nervous. He was repeating himself, adding details, and changing details as Williams Thomas acted as an investigator trying to lock down his story. And Stewart ended the interview by saying that Tia had a very loving home and that she never went without anything she wanted or needed. He went on to say, I can't work out what the hell is going on. They're talking to people around here that don't even know us and getting things off them, but they don't know us. We're getting false hope. People seen sightings, but we want 100% definite sightings. It's absolutely crazy. And near the end, he really tried to pull the heartstrings of the listeners of his story and tried to squeeze out a tear. But if you look closely, nothing seems to really come out. Yeah, come on, babe, come on. Come and eat your dinner. I want me ten pound back from my garden. Yeah, we love you, babe. I want it back, back to normal. There's, Please. There's, there's nothing. It's, it's going to be back to normal. Just, just come home and be back in the family. She's part of the family. Come on. Nothing's changed. No one's in trouble. Come on. An expert on body language would later say that Stewart blinked on an average of forty times per minute, which is double what is considered normal. He noted that Stewart also looked down when trying to recall events, which can be a sign of fabrication. Usually when recalling events, most people look up and to the left, as that is where the portion of our brain is located that stores our long and short-term memories. What's interesting is during the interview, Stewart had made a startling disclosure. He alluded to his criminal record, saying that everyone had a shady past and he was no different. This information caused Williams Thomas to look into Stewart's criminal record, which we will get into later. Ah. 
After that interview, police were convinced, despite eyewitness testimony, to the contrary that Stewart was responsible in some way for Tia's disappearance. The next day, the police went back to Christine and Stewart's home with a search warrant, which was their fourth inspection of the property. This time under the guise of looking for more evidence. Only Christine was home at the time, and they told her that she would need to leave while they conducted their search. She gathered her things and apologized for the terrible smell in the house. She thought her cat may have had an accident, but she couldn't find the source of the smell. Unfortunately, police were very familiar with the odor. It was the unmistakable odor of decomposition. After a thorough search of the property, they made a third inspection of the loft area, which in the US we refer to it as an attic space. They decided to check again after failing to locate the source of the smell. That is when they made a grisly discovery, and it wasn't good. They had finally found Tia Sharp. As it was summer, the heat in the loft area was stifling, which helped speed up the decomposition of Tia's body. Later, the police would fall under criticism for taking nine days to locate the missing little girl, especially because the area where her body was located had first been inspected within 24 hours of her disappearance. She was finally found tucked behind boxes of clothing and other ordinary things you might find in an attic space. Her body was in such a state of decomposition that she had to be identified by her dental records. As a result of the delay in finding Tia, the pathologist could not determine her cause of death, although the medical examiner speculated she could have been smothered. Now it was clear that Tia had never left the house while her body was left to decay, wrapped in sheets, plastic trash bags, and tape. The press caught video of the body being removed from the property, and later, Tia's mother would remark it couldn't have been her daughter. It didn't even look like a body, nor was it the shape of a body. Natalie thought it looked too small to contain her daughter, and there's a reason for that. After Tia was killed, Stewart attempted to dismember the body in the bathtub before wrapping it up in trash bags and tucking it behind boxes in a suitcase in the attic. Stewart treated the little girl he professed to love as discarded trash. Later, Williams Thomas commented on the interview with Stewart that led the police to finally discovering Tia's body. He said, What I knew, what I believed, was that I was going to be interviewing a killer, and it was as simple as that. And I had to make sure that anything I asked, anything he gave me, was both clear and could be used evidentially because I knew that this was likely to be used in court, because that's where it was going to end up. And therefore, all of this would be poured over by both the prosecution and the defense. And ultimately, of course it was. Police immediately put out a caution to the public that Stuart Hazel was missing and considered dangerous. Stuart didn't have access to a car which explains why he had to hide Tia's body in the attic space before Christine came home. 
the morning Tia's body was found, the house began to smell of decomposition. He may have realized it was only a matter of time before someone found Tia's body, which explains why he left that day without telling anyone where he was going. He took great efforts to slip past reporters, wearing a dark tracksuit with a hoodie, which is an unusual choice of wardrobe for him. Stewart is no criminal mastermind and didn't make it very far. In fact, he was found not too far away from where Tia lived with her mother. Witnesses placed him in a mini-mart extremely drunk buying another bottle of vodka. He staggered around while talking to himself and others, asking them for help in finding his granddaughter. He was crying when he approached a child who knew him. He asked her if she knew his granddaughter, and she said no. With slurred speech, he asked her if she found Tia to please tell her to come home. The little girl recognized him from the news and knew the police were looking for him. The police were called, and later, they found him not too far away in a wooded area hiding behind a log covered in leaves. Police actually used an infrared camera to find him, and he was promptly arrested. But he wasn't the only person arrested that day. Christine, the grandmother, was also arrested on suspicions of murder. And Paul Meehan, the next-door neighbor, who claims that he saw Tia walking by that day, was arrested on suspicion of assisting an offender. And later, reports about the family members began to come out in the press. It was reported that Tia grew up in a home riddled with crack and drug addiction. She was also reported to social services in primary and secondary school for missing too much school. Despite her lack of consistency in attending school, Tia was a smart little girl who got very good grades and was considered kind and popular. There were also several referrals to social services for drug addiction relating to Natalie by her doctor for using drugs during her pregnancies with her sons. However, Natalie declined treatment and said that it was just marijuana use, which she deemed fine during pregnancy. Later, when there was fear about Tia being removed from her home, Christine, the grandmother, offered to allow Tia to live with her where she could have her own room and be in a safer environment, never realizing the biggest threat to Tia was living with her under the same roof. Some of the worst criticism relating to Natalie and Christine had to do with allowing someone like Stuart to have access to Tia in the first place. Stuart was such a heavy drinker that Christine no longer allowed him to drink anything inside their home other than beer. Stuart also had over 30 convictions for mostly minor offenses, including drug use, burglary, and assault. However, he did have a conviction for a race-based offense which caused great bodily harm to his victim. Another time, he was kicked out of a bar and went back with a machete to attack the owner. The press reported that Stewart was raised predominantly by his father, who was often in and out of prison, and Stewart's mother was a sex worker, and Stewart didn't have much contact with her as a child. He also lived in and out of foster care homes where he would later allege that he was sexually assaulted as a 16-year-old. 
His records also indicated that he had antisocial conduct disorder, was prone to depression and suicide attempts, and had a low IQ. It's no wonder that he often experienced long periods of unemployment. It's speculated that he mostly stayed with Christine for stability and a roof over his head. Stewart himself said that his relationship with Christine was never sexual and he mostly slept on the couch. Although, at the time of Tia's murder, he was employed as a painter and window washer. Despite Stewart's low cognitive abilities, he was able to hide his dark desires from his close family and friends for all of his life. In fact, he was able to hide it from Tia herself until the day he decided to reveal them. Being that Tia was murdered, it's possible that Tia threatened to tell, which may have been what prompted Stuart to kill the little girl who referred to him as her best friend, but we don't know for sure. This is also assumed because Tia's mom stated that Tia was a confident child who would stand up for herself. In Natalie's opinion, her daughter wasn't groomable and it's obvious from the evidence that she hadn't been sexually groomed by Stewart in the past that we know of. Now, let's get into the evidence. Police were eventually able to get into Stewart's phone where they found videos that Stewart obviously took in secret of Tia in the bathroom or on the couch applying lotion to her legs. He would also go into her room at night where she was sleeping and take photos and videos of her. In some of the photos, the light from the open doorway would cast his sinister shadow over Tia's prone body. They also found some well-hidden photo storage devices hidden in the doorframe of Tia's room and inside a heating vent. Those devices contained the most incriminating items of all. One was a photo of Tia's naked body from behind, staged in a vulgar position. This photo also showed blood next to Tia's body on her comforter. The most startling information about this photo is that medical experts confirmed it was likely taken after Tia was already dead. This was determined from the modeling pattern on her skin and the signs of lividity in her extremities. Police also found an adult sex toy with Tia's blood on it, and they assume that caused the injuries to Tia's body after she was deceased. Other photos showed that Stewart had a fascination with child sex abuse material. Not realizing that the police had discovered his stash of child pornography, Stewart began offering alternative scenarios for Tia's death. At first, he stated that she fell down the stairs and was knocked out. He helped her to bed and only discovered that she was dead in the morning, which resulted in his panicked attempt to hide her body. He stated that he couldn't face Natalie or Christine with Tia's accidental death. His second version also had her falling down the stairs and dying at the bottom of the stairs, but in his drunken stupor, he didn't realize it until he found her dead the next morning. Police had a different theory. From his taste in pornography and the photos that they found on his electronic devices, it was clear that Stewart had an attraction to young, prepubescent girls. More specifically, he had a fascination and attraction to Tia Sharp. 
They believed that the possibly drunk-stepped granddad made a move on Tia which wasn't well-received. It was likely that Tia threatened to tell on him, which caused him to panic and smother her with her comforter. According to the timestamp on the photo of Tia's dead body, it was taken somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. Since he didn't have a car to dispose of her body, and he knew Christine would be home in a few hours, police surmised he did the only thing that he could think of, given his limited time and options available. So he wrapped Tia's body in bedsheets and plastic trash bags after attempting to dismember her for easier disposal at a later time. Only that time never arrived since the press camped outside his home almost immediately following the reporting of Tia's disappearance. Stewart's trial began on March 7, 2013, and by this time, all of the charges against Christine had been dropped and the entire Sharp family were present in court for the trial. It was during the trial when the family was accidentally shown the photo of Tia taken by Stewart after her death. This caused Natalie to become so upset that she had to leave the courtroom, which I can only imagine. The exhibits were only supposed to have been shown to the court. This is a heart-wrenching image for any parent to have to see their child under any circumstances. This is when Tia's family also discovered that the evidence included a sex toy covered in Tia's blood. The prosecution held nothing back and exposed the dark and sick fantasies Stewart held for Tia. Because of the state of Tia's body, the medical examiner was unable to determine if Tia had been sexually assaulted while alive. It's clear from the photos that Stewart, at the very least, sexually assaulted her body after death. There were also semen stains from Stewart found on Tia's comforter and inside her room. Tia's blood was also found on Stewart's shoes and on his belt. Prosecutors showed that Stewart regularly engaged in web searches for child sex abuse material that indicated his depraved intentions towards Tia. He searched for young girls in glasses, daddy-daughter porn, family incest porn, rough teen sex and photos depicting young sexy teens. The prosecution made it clear that Stewart had a sexual fascination with Tia. In fact, 24 hours after he reported her missing, he was back to searching on the internet for porn that depicted children with brown hair and glasses that looked like Tia. The prosecution also dismissed Stewart's claims of an accidental death with autopsy findings. Tia didn't have any skull fractures or a broken neck, as one might find in a fatal fall. Christine testified against her former boyfriend, stating that Stuart was a gentle giant and a big softie. She described him as laid back, and she never saw any sign that he was attracted to children. She also didn't realize he was scouring the internet for child sex abuse material. She stated she always had the impression he wasn't very good with technology and didn't even know how to use the internet. She testified that, quote, when Tia went missing, it didn't cross my mind that she could be dead. I always thought she was coming home. It didn't cross my mind that he would hurt her. He loved Tia. She idolized him. I love Stuart with all my heart. He was my world, but my grandchildren always came first. I knew nothing about her death. If I knew she could be dead, I would be inside because I would have killed him. Other people testified against Stewart as well. 
friends and co-workers described him as a compulsive liar who once pretended his father had died to get out of work for a few days. The jury also heard that next to Tia's body was another bag with her clothing and glasses inside. The bag also contained a pair of Stewart's broken glasses, which had Tia's fingerprints on them, suggesting they came off in a struggle when she fought back. The court also heard about a letter Stewart sent to his father apologizing for tainting their family last name and asking for some money. He also assured his father that he was innocent and that this was all an accident and he only expected to do 15 to 18 years in prison. He also said he was thinking about taking his own life since pedophiles and child killers weren't treated well in prison. Nowhere in his letter did he express remorse for Tia's death, accidental or not. By the fifth day of trial, Stewart had enough. He decided to change his plea to guilty and throw himself on the mercy of the court. His attorney stated that Stewart changed his plea because he did not want to put the family through any more trauma and wanted to take responsibility for his actions. His attorney said it was the bravest decision his client could have made. Others think that it was the coward's way out. Stewart knew that he would have to take the stand and explain his internet searches and the photo he took of Tia's body as a sick trophy. He also deprived the family of the answers they had surrounding Tia's death. He was like two different people. The person that I thought we knew, he was soft, gentle, friendly. There, there weren't an inch of bad bone in him. You trusted your your children? You know, you've got two little boys as well. You trusted all of your children with him? Yeah, 100% explicitly. Uh, you've said that you want to visit him in, in jail. What, what do you want to say to him then? Just why? But then, is he going to answer the questions? Then I want to put my hand around his throat. I just don't know. So, you, because you haven't really, you don't really know what it was all about, why he did this. No. You have, you have no idea, and that must torture you, I would have thought. Yeah. So I don't, even if I did know, I don't think it would change the fact that he's done it. But I just don't know, part of me needs to know why. That was Tia's mother in an interview she gave to ITV's Daybreak, still searching for the answers for her daughter's senseless murder. Later, she would say that Tia was the color of all colors and Stuart was the evilest of all evils. At Stuart's sentencing hearing, the judge stated that because of the condition of Tia's body, the court could not determine with any medical certainty that Tia was sexually assaulted while she was still alive. So as a result, he couldn't give Stuart the maximum sentence he probably deserved. He addressed Stuart telling him, the tragedy of their loss and her death is because of your act in murdering Tia Sharp. Then he discussed that the law required him to sentence him to a fixed period of time before he could be considered for parole. However, the judge said that one of the ways in which he can extend that period is if the murder involved a sexual motivation. He said, Your internet searches made it abundantly clear you had a sexual interest in Tia by your pornographic searches for young girls wearing glasses and searches of young girls sleeping. And then he said, quote, and then there was the photo of the naked young girl with her bottom towards the camera. Her face is not visible, but it must be Tia. She is lying on Tia's bed, and for reasons which the prosecution have explained and your counsel does not challenge, the picture must have been taken early in the morning of Friday, August 3rd. Blood can be seen on the genitalia and on the bed. 
Blood was found on the bedding in Tia's room, and it was her blood and your semen found on the bedding as well. End quote. He told Stewart that he was in a position of trust in Tia's life and further degraded her by taking the photo of her depicted in a vulgar position. Then he said that there was enough aggravated facts, including the age of the victim, to sentence him to life in prison with the possibility of parole only after serving 38 years. That means Stewart will be 75 years old when he is first eligible for parole. And Tia's family has vowed to be present at the first parole hearing and every parole hearing thereafter to strongly oppose his release. They think he is a monster who should die in prison alone. And then Paul Meehan, the neighbor who claimed to have seen Tia on the day of her disappearance, was charged with wasting police time and sentenced to five months in jail. The authorities strongly believe that Tia would have been found earlier if not for his false report. Like many prisoners, Stewart has found God while in prison and has declared himself a Christian. The next 38 years will give him plenty of time to read the Bible. Tia Sharp continues to live in the hearts and minds of those who loved her and miss her the most. There is a pink memorial bench with her name on it, located in Pollard's Hill Park, near where she lived with her family. And that's our show for this week. As always, we would love to know what you think of this week's episode. You can comment on our Instagram or Twitter page at Crime Salad Podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening. Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. Hi, this is Daniel Roof, the Real GM Radio Podcast. It's a Texas showdown in the postseason, and Bet Online is your number one source for all your baseball wagering information, up to the minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Everything you need to stay up to speed on each league championship series and through the World Series. Don't forget, Bet Online is where you have the latest game odds, present totals for the NFL and college football, plus real time updates on statistics, news, and odds. Serious up betting on football. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action at Bet Online, where the game starts.